Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. I am very excited for my new guest, Nick Diakopoulos, professor at the University of Maryland College of Journalism. Nick, welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me on today. Great to have you. Um, I wanted to have you on so we could talk about this recent workshop you put on at Columbia University that you were uh, nice enough to enjoy, uh, invite me to because it was really an interesting day. So we met up in New York. This was in, what, April now, I think we're talking? And it was in a late March. Late March, yeah. late March, right. And uh, we were talking about working on algorithmic transparency in the media. So maybe you could uh, give us a little summary of the workshop. I think you'd probably do a better justice than I would. Yeah, so basically this was a, a plan that uh, I hatched with the, the Taos Center for Digital Journalism um, at Columbia to... to kind of jumpstart the conversation around um, how the media needs to start thinking about um, their use of algorithms, and in particular about how they could be more transparent about their use of algorithms, uh, and sort of digging into specific case studies. So, you know, people are using um, what they call robot journalists now, so automatic um, content generation algorithms. Um, news organizations are using simulation and modeling uh, in storytelling. Um, and they're also using sort of algorithmically enhanced curation. Uh, and so we wanted to just kind of drill into these different case studies, um, get the participants um, talking specifically about, um, you know, what could be made transparent about algorithms in each of those cases, uh, why you would make it transparent, uh, you know, what the, what the benefits would be, what the, what the Costs would be, um, and 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 try to sort of come away with a little bit of a sort of a prototype standard or or some framework for thinking about what are the kind of dimensions that you would want to be transparent about um, as you're publishing information using algorithms. Right. It was it was a fascinating day, not only because uh, from from my perspective. You know, when I when I went up there, I sort of thought, okay, so the real issue here is some news organization is going to do some data analysis, some regression model, and they should be posting those data. They should be posting the methods by which they're they're analyzing the data. But we actually sort of worked our way into lots of other uh, topics and ideas, right? Should the algorithms that are used to move comments around at the bottom of a page should those should those algorithms be uh, made more transparent. Um, how um, the ads pop up, should those be made transparent? I mean, there's a, there's a pretty wide range of things to think about here. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff to think about here. I mean, news organizations are using personalization now, so how are they using your personal data to, to adapt content or serve ads? Um, you know, how are they um, inferencing certain things, so they're classifying you, or they're classifying um, things, you know, stations, and of course, classifiers have error rates, and you want to kind of, um, you know, let let the reader essentially know um, how sure you are of your analysis. Um, so there, I think there's lots of different kind of um, uh, ways in which. Um, algorithms are being used now. Um, one example that I like a lot, actually, um, is the uh, the New York Times fourth down bot. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah. Um, it was uh, it, yeah, so it's a, so it's a sports bot running a model of um, uh, of American football where 
they're basically trying to predict like you know what should a given team do on the four you know on any given fourth down play you know should they should they pump they go for it and so on uh, and it's all very data driven and you know they have a you know sort of a, a, a well reasoned model behind it uh, and it's kind of surfaced in on Twitter as this bot uh, but what I like about this is actually they they have a whole page online the New York Times runs this bot. Uh, and they have a whole page to actually visualize um, kind of the biases in the model. Uh, and they actually show you, you know, uh, they, they sort of visualize the, the, the field. Uh, and they show you, you know, what, what would the bot predict you should do at any given location on the field on, on a fourth down. And they kind of compare that to the actual data of what coaches actually do um, at that position on the field. I mean, it's just sort of, I think, a nice example which highlights the potential for visualization to help with transparency. So, you know, when you do have models that are running these things in the media, we can visualize those models in ways that help the, the end user, the consumer, understand the biases in these models or the error rates in these models. Right. Now, how do you view, so, so in that case, the NFL data are essentially public you know you know some of it you can buy but essentially it's public so where how do you view news stories where the data is either um, the news organizations collecting it themselves or they're purchasing the data or they're creating a model that the model itself has monetary value so where's the do you do you see that do you see it as a line between where they should and should not uh, release the algorithms and release the data or is it sort of like whenever a media organization is doing some analysis with data, they should be publishing everything? Well, data is a tricky thing, right? I mean, because people buy data um, all the time or there's, you know, potentially um, private information that might be in data sets that you wouldn't want to make public. Um, so, so it's not all straightforward. And, and I don't think that it's as easy as just saying, well, they should always, you know, publish the data behind their models. I mean, I think there's some caveats to that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, in general, we want to know, you know, what is the quality of that data? Is it, is it accurate? Is it complete? You know, how is it collected? What's the methodology behind that collection? Um, if you're training a model based on data, well, how much data did you train it on? You right. know, I mean, is it, you know, is it enough data that we can be confident in your model? Um, you know, are there any other assumptions uh, in the way that your data was collected? Um, how was your data processed, right? I mean, did you did you have to clean it? Did you edit it in some way? So, I mean, I think there's all kinds of um, decisions that get made along the way of, of how data is transformed um, that you might want to be transparent about. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think, you know, oftentimes it, the, the sort of, the sort of uh, counter argument for transparency is, well, you know, it, it, it ruins our competitive advantage and, you know, if we're transparent about this, then we're, we leave ourselves open to manipulation. Um, and, 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 you know, at times that's legitimate, right? I mean, you know, if you have a very valuable data set that you've spent um, a lot of time collecting, um, you, you know, you might choose to protect that um, and not publish it, um, you know, as as a as a way that you know other people could sort of pick it up and use it, um, sort of maintain that as a competitive advantage. But you might still disclose, you know, like I was saying, certain dimensions of the data, the, the quality, its accuracy, how it's processed, 
right. whether or not it includes, you know, private information, stuff like that. And do you think, for the most part, that, that organiza news organizations have the ability, I mean, they certainly have the ability, but should they be, should these notes and caveats and descriptions, those should be, should those be, for the most part, housed on a, in a, like, a, not with the article itself, I would assume, but on, like, a separate platform or in a, in a blog? I know, like, the New York Times has some development blogs, uh, so does the Washington Post. So is that the sort of place where things should be, should things all be housed together so that, um, like, 538, for example, has uh, a GitHub site where you can go collect, you know, go use some of the data that they've used? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big um, fan of kind of providing some interface affordance or some, some hook um, in the interface that people will, be, will see uh, that's kind of salient. So that if they are interested in seeing sort of the behind the scenes work of, you know, what fed into this model, the data and the code and so on, they can sort of click into it and dive into it. And I think, I think there are some really fundamental um, human computer interaction challenges here, right? I mean, you don't, you don't want to overload the, the reader, the end user, right? I mean, you don't, you don't want cognitive overload. You don't want people feeling like, oh my God, you know, there's all this stuff going on and I have to understand everything and why are they showing me all this stuff? I just want to, I just want to read this article. Um, but I think having, having some kind of way of um, sort of presenting information in a, um, in a multi-scale fashion where, you know, at, this, at the surface level, you can just read the article or the content, uh, but with some kind of salient hooks to be able to drill in and say, okay, now I can sort of see the layer behind this. Um, and, you know, I, I don't necessarily have a strong feeling of whether or not that needs to be on another platform like GitHub or, you know, if it should be hosted by the media organization itself. I mean, the way I see most organizations doing this now is they'll, they'll throw stuff up on GitHub mm -hmm. um, just because, I, you know, I think it kind of fits with the workflow. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that seems to make sense. And there's, and there's other advantages to that as well, like, you know, just version control of your code and your data and so on. Um, and, and of course, having the, the kind of um, the historical chain there for, for how a project evolved um, could also be kind of an interesting thing to, to have access to. Sure, sure, sure. So I want to switch just a little bit because I'm curious about your thoughts. Since you teach journalists, I'm curious about your thoughts on the staffing and the training that sort of modern journalists need because the one thing that came up at the Columbia workshop was uh, this sort of concept as journalists as researchers because I, I've written on this a little bit you know sometimes it makes me nervous when I hear um, journalists say well you know or journalism programs say for example oh you know our students now take two statistics classes so they know how to run a regression and that always makes me cringe um, because the, the you know, it's always like, do they they know how to run run they know how to run one regression, but do they know how to identify a good regression versus a bad sort of approach? So I'm curious when you have uh, the sort of new media where there's more data driven analytics and they're running regressions. What what is your view of like the 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 skill set that new journalists need and and to be responsible when they're working with data and then to sort of this next step of making it more transparent so people can sort of, so people can uh, evaluate it and analyze the quality of the work? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great question. Um, and, uh, and it's not an easy one. I mean, I think, you know, we're basically looking at data journalism as a new form of public 
social science. Um, yeah. And, you know, you're having data journalists do original analyses um, and, and publish those original analyses, um, you know, oftentimes without the benefit of peer review. Um, although, you know, data journalists uh, do lean on each other internally to a news organization or they lean on an editor to evaluate analysis or in some cases they'll call, you know, a statistician friend right, or yeah. they'll call a, you know, a, a statistics professor and say, hey, you know, is this crazy? You know, these are my results um, and just kind of, you know, do a sanity check on it. Right. Not, probably not as rigorous as a peer review kind of thing. Um, so, so there are kind of models, I think, that exist um, for um, making this kind of work uh, viable um, and public, um, you know, outside of the traditional peer review model. Um, now, in terms of what that means for skills, I mean, I think, you, you know, we are looking at, you know, uh, more, more statistics, more programming, so being able to move data around, being able to, you know, set up a, a machine learning classifier, you know, in Python, uh, for instance, um, you know, being able to churn through large sets of documents or use APIs to, to apply other kinds of analyses. Um, I think these are all important um, skills. Combine that now with what journalists have traditionally done well, which is communicate information. Uh, and there's a whole new set of skills, I think, that, that need to be developed in terms of uh, the effective communication of, of data-driven investigations. So, you know, what's a good way to present a news app, right? You know, it's not always, a, doesn't always need to be a written story. You know, sometimes it makes a lot more sense as a written story plus some charts or maybe just as a data utility, right? Where, where it's, it's really not much text at all. It's more about letting the end user explore a data set um, interactively or um, explore a data set through visualizations and so on. So, I mean, I think there's, there's sort of, in addition to the core journalism skills of reporting, writing, and editing, um, that writing part is, I think, being generalized out to communicating with data, which I think more often than not kind of comes down to data visualization, right? right. You, yeah. What's a, what's an effective way to visualize this data set for, for an end user? Yeah. Really interesting. Really interesting. So, You've hosted this. You hosted the workshop or co-hosted the workshop. You have your students. So where are you where are you headed next with this with this line of discussion and I assume research? Well, yeah. So for me, um, you know, I have a background going back into graduate school of, of human computer interaction. And so, um, in terms of the research agenda for me, I'm very interested in developing new interaction techniques, new visualization techniques that help you. Um, be more transparent with algorithms that you're using. So uh, one example of this is, is a project I'm continuing to work on with the, um, the IEEE um, Spectrum magazine. Um, we published last year a, an interactive top, uh, top ranking of, um, of programming languages. Um, and it's all very data-driven and, and, and kind of an interesting new methodology for, for looking at top programming languages. And I'm sort of thinking about well, how do you let people step into that ranking of top languages? How do you let them tweak and tune and reweight um, and create their own ranking from those languages? Mm -hmm. So I'm sort of continuing to work with them on developing um, visualization techniques and, and interface techniques um, that 
allow people more transparency and flexibility in rankings that they're interacting with online. Um, I have uh, you know some other uh, theoretical work that I think will build very nicely on top of um, the, this workshop, um, the, the the Columbia workshop, where I'm really trying to think um, uh, underneath it all. You know, what what would a standard look like for algorithmic transparency? What are all the different elements that will factor into that? Um, and you know, if we can sort of articulate that. Maybe the next step is to kind of open it up for public comment um, and get the industry to sort of um, look at that uh, that proto standard and, and comment on it and, and and iterate on it. And you know, over time, uh, maybe we can kind of agree and develop an almost an industry understanding, or you know, I hesitate to say um, consortium, but yeah. some kind of industry understanding that that these are the standards, these are the expectations, ethically or professionally of using algorithms in the media and that it be integrated into other kinds of editorial policies. Yeah, that is really interesting. And, and you had mentioned earlier the, the GitHub approach, and there's this, there's a workflow question there. I think that workflow question, I know lots of organizations are uh, trying to figure out how this sort of new data-driven, uh, I guess, society in which we live, how that affects their workflow. And I think that that conversation as part of this uh, discussion on on transparency will will be really interesting to see, especially as it comes to different uh, different media places. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's uh, I mean, workflow is essentially what everyone's struggling with right yeah. now. You yeah. know, what's the right way to work on on data and publish it and do it efficiently and do it in teams, right? So collaboration. Um, uh, workflows and so on. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure anyone's really solved that. Yet. No, right. Yeah. And I think individual organizations have their workflow, and they've kind of, you know, uh, duct taped it together, and it's and it's sort of working, you know, to some extent, right? Yeah. But uh, but I think um, there there's lots of room for innovation in that. Yeah. Well, Nick, this has been uh, this has been terrific. Thanks a lot for coming on. This has been really interesting. All right. Well, thanks for having me, John. And um, you know, I I. Uh, Hope to see you around town uh, very soon. Absolutely. I look forward to the uh, next workshop. Uh, well, <laughs> thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have questions or comments, please let me know. Hit me up on Twitter or visit the site, policyviz.com. Uh, I'm John Schwalbish, and this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.